Good morning. My name is Brian Trias. I'm the family pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church, and it's good to be with you on the second weekend of services in 2012. You guys had a good 2012 so far? Oh, a little bit. You have a better reaction than at 9. I think they were still sleeping at 9 o'clock. Uh, but one of the great things to do when you get into a new year is to talk about New Year's resolutions. And some people hear that word and go, oh, wow, I didn't do those this year. Oh, I've already broken those this year. Or I never do those. I don't get it. But I actually, I like the idea of New Year's resolutions. And so I wanted to, wanted to talk about some common New Year's resolutions that people make. You know, a common one is I'm going to eat better this year. And I'm going to trade in my diet. Those cheeseburgers are going to become carrots and the, the donuts are going to become dates. I don't know, something healthier than, than a donut. Or one of the things people do is I'm going to have a better diet this year. Or maybe yours is not that. Maybe it's I'm going to get a better education this year. I'm going to improve my education. You know, some people care about reading and writing. This guy obviously doesn't care about spelling. But some people are going to get a better education this year. Or maybe you're going to hit the gym early. Maybe you're going to get a jump on working out. You really want to make sure you're taking care of your body the best you possibly can this year. Or maybe it hits a little closer to home. Maybe it's, you know, you're going to improve your finances. This is the year you're going to get spending under control. You're going to get saving going. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to get the coupons out. You're going to do a better job at saving. Or, you know, sometimes they're just even simple. Like, this is going to be the year I recycle. This is the year I'm going to go green. Or this is the year I'm going to take that trip that I've always been wanting to take. I've been saving for. I've been thinking about it. I'm going to take it. Or maybe this is the year I'm going to spend more time with my family. And if you had kids like that, wouldn't you want to spend more time with them? Uh, those, are, those are my kids. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to spend more time. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone makes New Year's resolutions, right? Well, sometimes even in the church, we make New Year's resolutions. You know, like this is going to be the year I'm going to make it through that one year Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to get the revelation and I'm going to make it past Leviticus. Or maybe, maybe this is the year I, I'm going to spend more time in prayer this year. I know that God really wants me to be a person of prayer and I'm going to make sure that I spend the time I need to in prayer. Or I'm going to make sure that this year, my family, we're going to go to church. We're going to get up and we're going to make that commitment. We're going to be more regular here because I think that's what God wants us to do. But here's the reality about New Year's resolutions. And you can find all sorts of research on the internet. I know that. But some of the numbers I found were this. 78% of New Year's resolutions don't succeed. Ouch. Of a hundred of hundred people were to start out and try to do a New Year's resolution, they're saying only 22 of those would see it through to the end. That's not a very high percentage. But what I found even more kind of revealing was that out of people who make New Year's resolutions, only 52% of people believe they're going to succeed. Why even make them? And only 12% of that 52% actually see it through all the way. Well, you're like, why are we talking about New Year's resolutions? This is this a church. Shouldn't you be talking about the Bible? Well, well, we'll get there. But they also study the other end of New Year's resolutions. They also study the people who make it all the way through, who persevere to the end. And they found that there's one thing that most of them have in common. And that one thing is the concept of incremental change. Now, don't pay any attention to the math on that graph. I don't understand it either. But the concept of the graph is that it just makes little improvements over time, little by little by little. 
And what they say is, you know, you set a New Year's resolution that you're going to achieve this big goal by the end of the year, but the people who actually say, I'm going to go for this little goal, I'm going to meet it, and I'm going to go for this little goal, and I'm going to meet it, and then this one, and this one, and this one, those are the people who actually see it through to the end, through the concept of incremental change. Now, why are we talking about change, and why are we talking about resolutions? Because I believe, as a church, we have some resolutions that we need to make. And this is not just coming from me. This is coming from our entire leadership structure as we look at what we want 2012 to be. Because let's look at life. We can't afford to stay still, can we? We can't afford to be the same people in 2012 that we were in 2011. That's why we make New Year's resolutions. We're not satisfied with our diet. We're not satisfied with our education. We're not satisfied with our habits. So we want to make change. It's the same way with our spiritual life. We cannot be satisfied where we are. And so what reality becomes for us is that we need to grow. We need to grow. We need to be different this year than we were last year when it comes to our spiritual lives, our spiritual vitality, our spiritual purposes. We need to grow. We can't afford to stay the same. If you were here last semester, and I still call them semesters because I still work with kids, but if you were here last fall, you know that we studied, studied a book for the entire year. Who knows what that book was? Our entire fall. Come on, someone. John. We studied John. We spent 12 weeks in the book of John as a church. And so if you were here on Sunday mornings, we studied the book of John. If we were in our small groups, we studied the book of John. And our key word for the book of John was believe. We want to believe in the Son. We want to believe that He was sent by God. We want to believe that He had died on the cross for our sins to make a way for us to be with the Father. We want to believe in who He is. And as we shift from the fall to the spring, we're going to go from the book of John to the book of Romans. We're going to go from believe to grow. The book of Romans has a couple verses that says this. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among any brothers. When we think about what God's will for our lives, God's will for our life, each and every one of us, is that we look more and more like Christ. We need to grow. He says it again this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our goal is to look more like Christ, is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices where we are getting more and more of God and less and less of us. And so as we turn to the book of Romans, we have some questions that we need to ask about the book of Romans. And the first is, why Romans? Why would we look at Romans? Well, some people have studied Romans for centuries, and they've handed down their learning and their uh, experience from the book. And the first is Martin Luther. And you might know Martin Luther from a movie or from some historical stuff in school about 95 Theses or the Reformation. But at heart, Martin Luther was a pastor, and this was his heart for his people. He said, this epistle is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. 
He compares reading the book of Romans to a diet. He's saying you need to dine on it daily. He wanted his people in the book of Romans daily and not just to, to, to read it. He wanted them to commit it to memory. He felt that this book was so important that it deserved that status. Because if his people were to understand what was going on in the book of Romans and they understood the teaching of the book of Romans, they would be better equipped to live gospel-centered lives in the world. But Martin Luther was not alone. I have another quote from John Calvin who says this, If we understand this epistle, we have a passage open to us to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. If you understand what is going on in the book of Romans, if you understand the arguments that Paul's making in his teaching on the gospel, on sin, and on sanctification, if you understand what is going on, you're going to have a lens through which you can accurately view the rest of Scripture. In the Old Testament, it's the book of Deuteronomy. If you can understand what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy, if you follow what, what, the, what, what, what Moses is doing with blessings and cursings, the rest of the Old Testament makes complete sense. If you look at Romans after looking through the Gospels as we did with John, you understand the grid of the Gospel and where you fit in it. And you have a grid to study the rest of Scripture. Our last quote is by a more recent 20th century theologian. His name is F.F. Bruce. And he says, Indeed, there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter to the Romans. So let those who have read thus far be prepared for the consequences of reading farther. You have been warned. Doesn't that sound kind of ominous? You have been warned. It's kind of like don't trespass. But the reality is is he wants you to trespass. He wants you to dig in. He just wants you to know that if you will study this book and you will give yourself to this book and you will let this book teach and instruct you, you will not be the same. Because you will have encountered a holy God and his gospel through the pages of Romans. And so what we're going to do for the rest of this morning, we're going to look forward to this 12-week series that begins next week. And we're going to do an introduction to the book of Romans. We're going to answer some of the who, what, when, why questions that a lot of times people just take for granted that everyone kind of knows. And so we're going to look at what Romans is to give us a good grid for these next 12 weeks. And so the first thing we need to ask about Romans is what is Romans? What is Romans? Well, it's an epistle. But an epistle is not a word that I use very often. So a better way to say it is it's a letter. Romans is a letter that's written by a particular person to a particular group of people. It's not any different than a letter that you and I would write. In fact, it has all the makings of a standard letter. It's got a salutation, it's got the greeting, the opening, where he says, I wrote this and I'm writing this to you. It has standard greeting. The majority of the book of Romans is the message, the body, where he's getting his main points across, and then it ends with a closing. It's got a sender, a recipient, a greeting, a message, a final greeting, a closing benediction, and doxology. If you look at letters that were written back then, it has that form. It looks like letters that we have now. So Romans is an epistle. It's a letter. So the next question is obvious. Who wrote Romans? I invite with you to turn turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1, and I think as we read, it will become quite clear who wrote, who wrote Romans. Romans 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, first word, we get it right off the bat. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostles, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, 
we, we've talked about inspiration of Scripture a lot here, and we say lots of things, and I don't want you to be confused about what we're talking about, because we believe the Bible is a God-inspired book. It says in Second Timothy, God breathed the Word. And so we believe that God wrote the book of Romans, but he wrote it through a man named Paul. It's the only time you're ever going to hear me use this word. It's called a theanthropic book. It's written by God. It's written by man. And so we're going to say it like this. God inspired Paul, who through the leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote down faithfully, using his own personality, the message of the Lord. God had a message that he wanted to convey to us, and he did so through Paul. And Paul used his own personality in writing this letter. But the words that we have were not only for that church that he was writing to, but they're for us today. It's God's message that Paul uniquely wrote down. But we need to talk a little bit about who is Paul. Well, he describes himself here in three little statements. He says, first, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. He's a slave. He is bound to Christ. He cannot get away from Christ. His duty is with Christ. He is a slave. He says he's called to be an apostle. This harkens back to the book of Acts in chapter 9 when Paul's on the, or Saul is on the way to Damascus. And, and Jesus comes and reveals himself to him with a blinding light and he blinds Paul and he radically changes Paul's life and Paul's direction. And he gives him a new calling and he says, you are going to be my witness to the Gentiles. I have a special plan for you. He was called to be an apostle. He saw the risen Lord and he is set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel is the defining characteristic of Paul's life. It is the thing that, that makes him go in the morning. It is the thing that defines him. The gospel is what sets Paul apart. And so Paul, through the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Romans. Well, the next question we need to ask is how was Romans written? Kind of a weird question to ask. How was Romans written? But we're going to come to a verse in chapter 16. And you don't need to turn, turn there. I'm going to have it here on the screen for you. That says this. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And so if you're looking for controversy, this is something you could point to. Well, Paul writes it in one one, And now in 16.22, Tertius is saying he wrote it. Who wrote Romans? Paul wrote Romans. There's no controversy here. This is a common technique with people who are writing letters. You've got to remember, Paul was in age, getting old in age as he was ministering. He had undergone lots and lots of trials. It would not be uncommon at all for him to have someone uh, write down the letter for him. And so Paul would dictate the letter to Tertius, and Tertius would write it down. Now, it probably happened one of two ways. One, Paul would uh, sit there and for a long period of time would, would dictate the letter and Tertius would sit there and write it out longhand in legible penmanship so this church in Rome could read it. Or he would sit there and he would tell this message to Tertius. Tertius would write notes in shorthand, get everything he needed to know for the message down, and then he would take the time to go and write a careful copy longhand for the church. Now, does it matter which way it happened or not? No. Does it matter that Tertius was involved? No. This message that we have is from Paul. Tertius only helped him get it down on paper to get it to the Romans. So how was it written? It was dictated to Tertius who wrote it down. Our next question is, who was Romans written to? By saying the name Romans, you guys already know. But we need to find out a little bit about who the Romans were. And so we're going to read here in Romans 1, 7, and 8. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. We don't know a ton about the Roman church at this point, but we we do know a few things. One, it was located in the major metropolitan city of the world. You got to think DC and New York and Tokyo and Paris and London and all these places kind of merged into one. It was the capital of the known world. Government, military, finance, arts, every sort of cultural existence that was the big deal back then started in Rome. Rome was the place to be. It was the port capital of the world where people were constantly coming in and leaving out. If you had influence in Rome, you had influence. And it's one of the reasons why Paul wanted the gospel to be centered and right there. It's the reason he took so much time to dictate this gospel to that church. It's the major metropolitan city of the world. The composition of the church, though, you know, we, we can have a good estimate on it, but we don't, we're not going to know the demographics for sure. But we know it was a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers. How much of which, we can't know. We believe there's probably a little bit more Gentile there than Jewish being as it was in Rome. But it was a church that was mixed up of Jewish and Gentile believers. And you can see that from Paul's argument. There's sections of Romans that are definitely aimed toward a Gentile here. And there's sections that are definitely aimed toward a Jewish reader. And so it was a mixed group as a whole. The third thing we know about the uh, church in Romans was that it was not started by Paul. This is kind of interesting because most of the letters that Paul writes were to churches he was a little bit more familiar with. He writes to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and he writes to uh, Colossae and Galatia and Ephesus and all these churches he had been in, he had done work in. They knew him, he knew them. He speaks to direct problems going on there. But Paul did not start the church in Rome. Well, how did the church in Rome start? Well, to be honest with you, we don't really know. There's not really a historical record of how the church in Rome started. It is believed that it started when in Acts 2, in the chapter of Pentecost, the Spirit came down on the disciples and they began speaking in all tongues. And people were saved that day and they went out and the church began to explode. And we have that on record that the church began to explode. It is believed people were there and heard the message of the disciples and took that to Rome. And the church was started in Rome. But we know that the church was not started by Paul because we have no record of Paul starting that church. The last thing we know is that um, this church exhibited maturity. We know that from verse 8 where he says, Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. We see a couple of verses later that Paul is talking about eagerly waiting for them to replenish him and to pour out a spiritual gift on him. They had shown and demonstrated some sort of maturity that had achieved fame throughout the world. Paul had heard about it where he was. And he wanted to commend them for that faith. And he wished to go and be with them and be a part of their fellowship. And so Paul wrote to this church in the Romans of whom he didn't have a whole lot of um, experience or knowledge of. But he wanted to visit them desperately. Where and when was <clears throat> Romans written? Where and when was Romans written? Well, we don't know for sure because we don't have date stamp the way we do on email. If you send an email, you know that it records the, the computer you sent it from and the time and the date you sent all these things. And it's easy to track where information came from now. But back then, we don't have a, a computer where Paul sent this letter. What we have is kind of a way to estimate from other data we have recorded in Scripture. And so we believe, to the best of our ability, 
that the book of Romans was written in AD 57 in Corinth. Now, the reason we believe that is because in Romans chapter 15, Paul is saying, I've just completed this collection for the Jewish believers, the saints in Jerusalem, and I want to take it to them. And so we know kind of the time frame of when Paul had collected that. We know kind of where he was. And we also knew that he was about to appear in the book of Acts before Felix. We knew when Felix came to power in AD 58. And so using all that information in the book of Acts and Romans, you can come to an approximate date of AD 57 in Corinth. Now, if, it, if it's not in Corinth and it was in AD 56, does that shake our message at all? Not at all. The truth of Romans is still the truth in Romans. This, to the best of our ability, though, is when it was written, and it's helpful from a background perspective. But now we come to the most important question of the morning, and the one where we're going to spend the most amount of time. Why was Romans written? It's great to know all these things about the background, about who wrote it and who it was written to, and they're all really helpful things as we study the book, but why was Romans written? I believe we have four reasons given in Scripture why Romans is written. The first one was Paul longed to see them. He wishes to prepare them for a visit. He says this in verse 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He had heard about their faith. He wanted to get there. He wanted to be with them and experience their fellowship. He had tried in the past. He had not been successful, but now he's coming. He wants to get with them. He wants to let them know. The second reason is he wants to impart and receive a spiritual gift. Follow with me in verse 11 and 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Paul had a really good understanding of what spiritual gifts were. He's going to write about it, not only in Corinthians, but he writes about it in Romans. How spiritual gifts are not for us. I do not have a spiritual gift for my benefit. I have a spiritual gift for your benefit. And y'all have spiritual uh, spiritual gifts for our benefit. And Paul said, I can't wait to get you because the blessings that God has poured into my life, I want to pour them into you. And the blessings that God has poured into your church, I want them to flow through you into me. I can't wait to be with you so that we may experience the Spirit of God through spiritual gifts. His third reason for wanting to visit Rome was a resting place for him on the way to Spain. Paul really wanted to get to Spain, and there's a couple of different type of people in ministry. The first I will call a builder. And the the builder comes in and and sees the foundation that someone has built and says, I can work with that, I can build on that. He continues to grow and grow and grow the ministry, and that is so helpful. We need more builders in ministry, but Paul was not a builder. Paul was not excited to going into a place where there was an established church and spending his time there building the church up, though he wanted the church to be built up. Paul is what we would call a pioneer. In fact, he says so in Romans 15. He says, I don't want to come in and lay on the foundation of any other man. I want to go where the gospel has not been yet. And for Paul, that place was Spain. We don't know a whole lot about what Spain was like at that time, but we know that Paul wanted to be there and he wanted to take the gospel to them. So he says this in 1524. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I enjoyed your company for a while. He was going to go there. He was going to get replenished. He was going to get resourced so that they could help him take the gospel 
to Spain. But the last reason why Paul wrote the book of Romans is probably the most important for us because it takes up the bulk of the chapter or of the book. He wanted to define and declare the gospel. The very thing that in verse 1 Paul said is the thing that set him apart was the thing he wanted to come and share with them. They did not know him as well as other churches knew him. He wanted to say, here is who I am. Here is where I stand. This is where I believe. This is what I'm going to preach. And so he starts in verse 2. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Everything that you have been prepared for for the Old Testament, the words of the prophet, the Scriptures of old, those things have come true in the person of Jesus Christ concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. We looked at that in Matthew and Luke at Christmas time. He is the descendant of David. Declared to be the Son of God in, or according to the flesh. In verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He did not become the Son of God once He rose from the dead. By raising from the dead, He was authenticated. This is the one. This is the one to be believed, to be trusted, to give everything for. This is the one you need to follow. It goes on in verse 5 through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. What Paul is bringing them is nothing he's earned. It's nothing he's been, it's nothing he's worked his way toward. It's nothing he's found. It's something that's been given to him. He has been given grace the cross of Christ. He's been given apostleship and now he is doing this work where he is calling people to the obedience of faith to meet Jesus Christ, their Lord. And Paul has a specific mission. We see this in verse 13 and 14. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. He was coming to Rome and he wanted to be replenished and he wanted to be refueled and refreshed and he wanted these things, but his real desire to come to Rome was to preach the gospel. It is what defined his life. If you look back at one one, where it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, you know what it doesn't say? Paul, a tent maker. A tent maker was the thing he did. He did it to get money so that he could do ministry. But being a tent maker, his career did not define his life. His life was defined by the gospel. And so when he was coming to Rome, he was not coming for a vacation. He was coming to preach and to get a harvest of people who had not heard the word because Paul was an evangelist. He wanted people to know his Savior. He wanted people to know the Savior's gospel. And that is why he ends with 115, which is just a simple yet so elegant statement. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. That's what he wanted more than anything else. He wanted to define and declare the gospel for them. He wanted to make sure they were on the same page as they set out in ministry. So now we have to ask ourselves the question, so what? 
Now we have all this background information. We have information about who wrote Romans and why was it written and when was it written and where was it written. And these things are all well and good, but why do we need to know this information? Why do we need to study the book of Romans? There's a theologian named John Stott who passed away in 2011, and he had a quote here about the book of Romans that said, Romans is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. Romans is the clearest explanation of the gospel, of who we are and who God is and what Christ has done for us and what that means for our life. The so what is this? If you understand what is going on in the book of Romans, you know who you are and you know what you are called to do. It gives you peace and it gives you wisdom and discernment as you move forward. There's an outline that we're going to use in our small group training, but also we're going to use as we talk it through it, talk through the book here on, on the weekends of the book of Romans. And it's a simple five-word outline to get through the major concepts and the major structure in the book of Romans. And I actually I printed it for you on the back of your bulletin so you didn't have to scramble and take it down. But it's a five-word outline that you can help you lay out this book. And not only can it help you lay out the book so that you can teach the book to someone else, but it helps you find where you are in the book of Romans. It starts out with 118 through 320 talking about sin. And let me tell you, if you have not read it before, it's not pretty. And before you go to that thing and say, I wonder if I'm in it, I wonder if I could find myself in it, he has disobedient to parents in there. So we're pretty much all covered. And then in 310, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who trusts God. There is no one who seeks him. There is no one that does good. It's pretty bad. And you realize that we were dead in our sin. But Paul switches in verse 321. And I want you to remember these words in 321 for the rest of your life. And if there's anything you take away today, I want you to remember these two words. But now. You are bad, you are bad, you are bad, you are bad, but now a righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law. And this righteousness is through the Son of God who came and laid down His righteous life for us on a cross. And from 321 through 623, Paul is going to talk about salvation and how in Romans 5, 8, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it ends with 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We were once dead in our sins, but now we can understand that salvation has come from God. But Paul's not done yet laying out life. He goes on in chapter 7 and 8, and he talks about sanctification. And sanctification is merely what we talked about at the beginning, about growing, being conformed to the likeness of his son. It is what all believers should be doing. We should be growing and looking more and more like Christ. And then in Romans 9 through 11, he takes a little parenthesis statement and a little couple chapters where he talks about the sovereignty of God and how the righteousness of God has been vindicated by the way he's dealt with the people of Israel, that he has been good to them and fair to them. And then it ends with service. How we are to treat our fellow man, how we are to be with believers and non-believers, how we are to interact as we do this thing called life in this very real and tangible world. And so you can, look at this, you can look at this outline and say, I can find myself here. 
I might be in the sin part. I might be, I might have experienced salvation. I'm in the sanctification. I need to grow in service. If you understand the book of Romans, you can get a snapshot of where you are and how you fit in and where you need to grow. Lots of people talk about, man, I, I, I believe in this Jesus. I'm just not really sure of my footing in the faith. I don't really have the foundations of it down. I'm, I'm kind of lost in some of the specifics. Romans is a great book for us to study. It can seem a little daunting at the beginning, but as we walk through it, I think you're going to find the riches of the depths of this word. There, underneath your outline, I've printed for you just lots of the doctrines that this book covers. It covers natural revelation, universality of sin, justification. I'm not going to read the whole list because I know you guys can read. There's two pages of it. There's just so much depth in this book. And if you will give yourself to the book of Romans, you will understand your faith in a new, fresh way as we walk through this together. There's not a clearer picture of who we are in Christ than the book of Romans. So we have that. That's so what? We need to end with one last question. And it's now what? And if you look at your bulletin, unlike, uh, like all the other questions, it's blank. I didn't want to give you the now what. I have some things that I'm going to propose. I have some resolutions that I think that we should make as a church and as a leadership group. These are the things we're saying. These will help you grow. Come and partake in it with us. But here's what I've learned about New Year's resolutions. If you don't own them, you won't do them. And so I want you to think long and hard about what we're calling you to do, and I want you to think about what your response is going to be, what your now what is going to be. Because these are the resolutions. We talked about incremental change. We talked about the things that we can do to grow, and this is what I think we should do as a church. We should resolve to dig in deeply to the book of Romans. And for the next 12 weeks, we're going to help you do that. Whether you come here on Sunday morning, whether you do it on your own in in the Word, whether you do it in a small group, we are going to dine on the book of Romans for the next 12 weeks. We are going to get it in a healthy chunk. We are going to be consumed with the book. And I believe that if you will consume yourself with this book, you will be transformed in a way of which you are not prepared. Because this is not a Fellowship Bible Church thing. This is not a pastor thing. This is the spirit of the living God working through his word thing. And we talked about the concept of incremental change. And so the second thing I said is I resolved to dig in deeply, doing so through the incremental change provided by the L3 Journal. I don't know if this is your first time here and you've never seen one of these before or if you've been doing it every day, but this L3 Journal has been revolutional for me personally of having little bits of scripture every day that I can read and that I can study. And it's a handful. Some days it's three verses, some days it's seven, and some days it's five. But I get to study that little passage of scripture and I get to say, what is going on here? What do I need to explain? And then taking that and not just saying, okay, I understand what's going on, saying I can really apply this to my life. I could take something from these three verses and there is something in me that can change. Because I think if we're all honest, there's a lot of things that we all can change. And then having the audacity to stand before God and praying these things into reality. Saying, God, I saw this in your word today. Help me be this. Help me do this. The L3 Journal has been such a great incremental change for me. I pray that it will be for you as well. As we read through the book of Romans in 12 weeks. The last one is this. We want to study the book in community. 
It is wonderful to come here and hear a message on the book of Romans. I want to continue to encourage you to come and be a part of the body of God as we corporately study the book. And I want to invite you to take the L3 journal and to take your word of God into your home and to open it up and to study it on your own. But if those are the only things you're doing, I'm going to tell you you're missing, you're missing out. Because when we study this book in small groups, when we do this book in community, you can get the most out of it. And so if you did a small group through the book of John, you know that we are holding each other accountable and working through the book together as we read through and study the book. And now we're going to do that in Romans. And so if you went through that with your small group, you're going to be doing that again. And I want to encourage you to take part in that. But if you're here and you haven't found that small group, you haven't found that medium-sized connection group yet, we have an exciting opportunity to offer for you. We have something called group night that's coming up on Sunday evenings where you can come and you can find other people who are wanting to study the book of Romans through you, a medium-sized group led by great teachers as you walk through the book and you can talk about it with people who are doing life beside you. Dig in deep to the book of Romans. Do so using the incremental change. Use the L3 journal. It's a great tool and resource for you. If you don't have one, you can buy them at the information center. Do so in community. Find a group, whether it's at work or in church or somewhere, find a group to do Romans with. We started the morning talking about New Year's resolutions. And if I could stand here this morning, if I can offer you a pill and say this pill will, will help you achieve your New Year's resolution. If, if you want to have a better diet, all you have to do is you have to take this pill early in the morning and it will solve your better diet or it will solve your better education or it will solve that trip you want to take. You guys would take that in a heartbeat, even if it meant taking it every day, because you want that change. You want what comes with a better diet and what comes with a better education. But I stand before you this morning and telling you that I think as people of God, the thing that we desire the most is the peace that can only come from God and have wisdom and discernment for how to live our lives and what are the things that we're supposed to do. And I'm telling you, If you give yourself to the book of Romans, if you will study it, if you will apply it to your life, if you will let it transform you and wash over you, you will be changed. It's a 5 to 10 minute, it's a 15 to 30 minute daily commitment that will leave you different than you were before. You have been warned. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we become people of your book. I pray that we become people who live for you and long to know you more by engaging your word. Father, may we as individuals and may we as a church dig into the book of Romans. May we experience your gospel, experience your salvation. May we experience the things you have laid out for us in that book. Father, may we be transformed and different because of it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.